Hey folks, in this episode of the podcast, I get to sit down with New York City-based director and portrait photographer, Mr. Scott McDermott. This is Twitter. Hey, welcome back to another episode of This Week in Photo. I am your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Today's episode is all about portrait photography and all the little bits and baubles that go into being a successful portrait photographer. And I'm lucky enough to have Mr. Scott McDermott on the show to kind of dive into the world of portrait photography. And I want to take this interview in a, you know, not just a what camera do you use, what lights are the best, yada, 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 all that stuff. But I want to get into the psychology of portrait photography a little bit. Where is it today versus where was it back in the day? You know, has have things changed? How has COVID affected portrait photographers? All that. So this is your state of the union for portrait photography. Scott, welcome to the show, man. How you doing? Good. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's, it's a pleasure to have you, man. We have so much to talk about. I love portrait photography. I, I feel like it is the I don't I don't want to say the the original photography, but it's like, you know, back in the day, you know, you see those old photographers with the flash powder and, you know, people have to stand still for 30 minutes just to get the exposure and all that. But the work was always brilliant. It always captured sort of the zeitgeist of people from that time and you fast forward to 2022 when we're recording this you're still carrying that torch forward you know from when people were shooting in the 1800s right there you're still doing portrait photography albeit with better tools and better distribution methods but boom it's still as important as it was back in the day let's start with with a little background on scott right how did you like what's your pedigree in photography and why did you choose this particular genre, you know, portrait photography and directing, et cetera, versus landscape or street or, you know, those other things? Well, yeah, I mean, just to go back to your setup there, I mean, I think, uh, you know, there's a saying about the first car race and it was when they built the second car. And I think, <laughs> you know, that, that uh, portrait photography was probably like the, the, you know, first thing someone did when they really got a camera was pointed at someone else and so it's kind of an ancient thing and and maybe an ancient art form I mean it goes to painting and, and all the you know cave drawings and all that stuff so yeah it goes way back but for me um I started my photography journey kind of in in sport really and and it's it came out of being someone who was really into the outdoors and really into uh participating in skiing and and that kind of stuff as as a when I was in high school and, and then in college and then making that realization that you could maybe do that for a living. And that's how I sort of started in photography was going down that road. But then I ended up in New York city and realized that it's, you kind of can't make it as an adventure photographer in New York city. It's just not where you should be. So it could have, it, it sort of pivoted from there to, sports in the studio and bodybuilding and you know i shot a lot of stuff for men's health and and that kind of muscle body portrait type stuff and then that turned into athlete portraits and then portraits of everybody famous people non-famous people and and for all different applications not sports at all so it sort of morphed that way and it was like an organically growing thing um but I didn't really set out to shoot portraits specifically in the very beginning. It, it was more about action and, and sh covering 
or capturing what I wanted to be doing in the sports world. And so that's kind of the, the arc of it. And how do you how do you define portraiture? Right. What what is a portrait? You know, is it is it just a picture of a person? And why is why what what makes something a portrait versus just a photo of a person sitting there or a street photography shot of a person sipping coffee in a corner cafe in New York versus a portrait of a person si sipping coffee at a corner cafe? Is it just depth of field? Is it intention? Is it lighting? What, what makes something a portrait versus not? I think it's it's the awareness of the subject that you're taking their picture. So it's the fact that they know you're taking the picture and they're sort of sitting for it. And it's a two way experience as opposed to a voyeuristic journalism, you know, captured moment, which could look like a portrait and framing and all that stuff. But I think with the with the portrait, there's a sense of the subject is sitting for it and it's an intentional act on their part. Um, I think that's right from my art history <laughs> classes. <laughs> yeah, no, that's 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 perfect. I mean, this whole thing is subjective, yeah. right? Everything about the the art form of photography is subjective. Like, what is a what's a landscape? Sure, it's got stuff in it, but what makes this a landscape versus that a landscape shot, or what makes this street right. photography? versus that you know one one of the things that i always want to ask photographers because i you know i would say that portrait photography for me is is probably my favorite genre of photography um and i'm curious as to why it's your favorite you know albeit you know notwithstanding the stuff that you said earlier but the reason that i love portrait photography i think is because especially if you're shooting pictures of you know, models or whatever, you're regardless of who you're shooting, you're capturing that point in time of that person. And they're never going to look like that again. You know, like even the next day, they're going to be different, but you're capturing them at that specific space time continuum and giving them a record of themselves at that point in time. What is it about portrait photography, like from that sort of subdermal level, do, you know, excites you about the genre? Well, there's kind of two parts to it. There's the documentation part, like you said, um, and and that's very true. It is very much a timestamp of that person at that time. But then there's there's sort of the performance element that the person could bring to it. They could do something wacky in the picture. They could, you know, pose in a certain way, and and that gives it a a completely different meaning. There's their facial expression, all that stuff, and then within a shoot, there's a huge gamut of you know, what they've done, what they've chosen to reveal. Maybe they did nothing and that was fine, you know, and, and all that. And then it comes down to editing to a certain extent, like which side of them do you want to reveal and how do you want to steer it from there? So it's, it's kind of two parts. There's the what or three parts. I would say there's what that person wants to reveal the subject, what the photographer captures in that moment you're together. And then the edit, which is, of the of everything that came out of that shoot which one do you choose to show mm -hmm. and between those three variables it can go wildly differently in in any direction you know it's pretty interesting and there's another crazy phenomenon with celebrities where you know i could set up a portrait that's technically identical with like my assistant before you know in the studio before someone shows up and whatever, it, it's it's a perfectly fine picture. But then let's say, you know, just because he's there, Clint Eastwood comes and sits down under the exact same lighting conditions and does almost nothing, just stares at the camera. And all of a sudden it's it's this 
interesting picture of Clint Eastwood that has a lot more meaning than the picture of my, you know, assistant for whatever reason, because the, you know, viewer might have baggage about having seen Clint Eastwood as a kid in a movie or whatever, you know, they, they, the viewer brings their own side to the coin. So it's, it's really an interesting phenomenon that happens with, you know, not just the lighting and what you do as a photographer, but then what the viewer takes on with it afterwards. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that picture back there, and I saw that on your. Uh, we're going to talk about Domestica a little bit in the the, uh, the end of this. I saw it on the Domestica page for the course that you have on portrait lighting and photography as well. But I'm curious, what what was that like shooting an iconic, you know, face like that? You know, it was it was it was he like the stereotypical Hollywood guy that comes in with an entourage and you get like. 0.03 seconds to get the shot or was he more personable how did, how did that flow go from him coming in to you know him going out and you feeling like you as the photographer got the shot well this this specific shot was part of a big series of portraits i did for nelson mandela's foundation and it was a, a double image with with his hand going like this and and then the, and then the face and so it was shot in in a couple of different places where we we had like a big event for the foundation and there were all these a-list celebrities there it's a big cocktail party at um the beverly hills hotel in la and so they were all there to do like a foundation event and then i was set up like in the next room and they would all come and, and have their picture taken and even though they were there for the event and for their to have their picture taken, you know, it's still not their favorite activity. And you have to sort of control them to come into the other room and they don't want to do it. And and yes, you you know, some of them give you less than 30 seconds and, and it's very like transactional and, and, you know, they don't really give you much necessarily. So in this case, Clint came in and this is the very first frame. Like he just stands in front of the camera and he's not into it. And he's just kind of like, Argh. and he gives you that Clint Eastwood, I don't want to be here thing. And then later he smiles and he does all this fun stuff. And, but that's not the Clint we want to see. You know? <laughs> that, so there's, there's an example of editing. Whereas this is my favorite shot because it has that sort of, uh, you know, grimacing thousand mile stare that we're all know Clint for. And, and so, you know, a big smiley, happy Clint is not really the the, the image, you know, so um, but I certainly have both. And and so that, you know, I chose this one because I think it's it's my favorite. And so, yeah, it was very quick. I mean, I think the, the whole thing is less than two minutes. You know, he would go, goes to two different sets and, you know, that's kind of it. And in this case, it was because it's at a basically a party. It was it was very quick with everybody. But sometimes you get this hangout for a day and sometimes you get, you know, 30 seconds. So yeah. <laughs> it all depends on the circumstance. But the lighting on that shot is is. So tell me tell me that, you know, so let's talk about lighting and we'll sure. transition into gear a little bit. Was that was your was that your standard sort of three point? you know, main light, fill light, backlight, or four point hair light type setup? Right. Or did you go in and we're just going to put a softbox with a black background or gray and go for it? How, what was the what was the setup like for that? Well, so the way this whole project came about was this agency reached out to me. So we want to shoot a whole series of celebrities hands in black and white, just their palm of their hand kind of like this. And and they when they wanted this really gritty black and white so that it you could see all the little cracks and stuff in their hands and and so that's what we did and and you know we certainly have everyone's hand like that and so but the the technique the lighting technique came 
from trying to make as much grit and and sort of crunchy almost shades of gray like a pencil drawing out of that technique and so they didn't even want to shoot faces and i said well you know come on we're, we're gonna have these amazing people here i gotta shoot their faces as well i can't just have clint eastwood come and shoot his hand and he leaves <laughs> mm-hmm. so those those hand pictures are a white background with a black edge around them and so i decided for the faces i'll flip that lighting scheme to a black background with a white edge and so it, and it also had to be just as gritty as the hands, which is a challenging way to shoot people's faces because it's it's definitely not flattering. I mean, it's pulling out every little, you know, nook and cranny of whatever you've got going on in your face, which is, you know, sort of almost the opposite of what a lot of people try to do lighting wise. But for this one specific thing, it was sort of like an all in let's go for it type of approach. Um, and so... It, Part of my lighting philosophy and what we kind of go into in the Domestica course is is a way of thinking about lighting in, in sort of the fundamentals of, of not like, oh, well, I'm going to use a softbox because I always use a softbox on people's faces. It's like, what kind of light gives you the characteristics that I want for this kind of shot? And that would be a very specular light, and that would be something that falls off very quickly. So it needs to be physically close to the to the subject. So if you put the light across the room, it would be the same exposure here as it would be here. But if you put the light right here, like phys- like literally less than a foot away, like right out of frame, then this is very hot and this is is like three stops darker just because it falls off quicker because it's closer. So using kind of those main principles of like, okay, we want, sh- we want really hard light, we want it close. You know, that's how I kind of built that lighting technique. And uh, other times like Let's put a giant softbox that fills the entire back of the room, and that's a whole other thing we're after, you know. Yeah. So it was it was a it was a way of of kind of thinking about it critically and building it from there. I love that. Yeah, that's, that's interesting because you hear a lot of photographers say that, you know, I'm a. I mean, you've heard this, right? I'm a natural light photographer. I don't use strobe. You know, <laughs> poo poo artificial light. It's all about window light. That's the most romantic or whatever. You know. Um, and then you'll hear other photographers say, I'm a one light photographer. I got one light. That's all I use. I'm going to teach you how to use one light. You could change the world with one light. And then on the far other end of the spectrum, there are people that are like, you know, by any means necessary. You know, I'm going to visualize the shots and I'm going to build the light that I want around that. You know, are you it sounds like you might be all of those people rolled into one, right? So it's kind of oh. the, uh, the James Bond photographer, the opportunistic, like, okay, I want to do this shot. I need this light. I need this light. I need a hair light. Or it's a model and I'm just doing headshots. I just want one big giant softbox sitting in front of him or her. Like, where, where do you fall in that? Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely like the the right tool for the right job type thing. And and there's lots of different jobs that I do. I don't, I'm not, not someone that... Sh- shoots like the same thing all the time so you know i i get it if there's someone who's like a, a a headshot photographer and they basically shoot that all the time and maybe even the same room then they have a formula they plug that in and and fair enough you know and if it works and everyone's happy then great but my situation is i mean i shoot a ton of different stuff on location in studios in makeshift studios in you know terrible rooms with seven foot ceilings or or in massive you know hangar type spaces i mean it, it's literally everything 
across the gamut and and always different and and I wouldn't have it any other way. I mean, I love that and and the variety of it is is great. And so, but what that means is that I need to know what the toolbox is out there and what the right tool for the right job is. And and then and basically the way to do that is to start very with the fundamentals. Like, what do we want this picture to look like? What kind of light? And w- in what situation? And what tools do we need to make that happen? And so. Um, yeah, it's just a question of knowing what's out there and knowing what it all does and knowing when to use it and why. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the definition of a professional, just what you said, right? It's no, being able to produce repeatable results with a, with a varying situation around you, right? So you can create great work at that coffee shop I was alluding to earlier or in the studio or wherever you can do it and kind of assemble the right tools to do that. So with with continuing sort of that tool vein of the conversation, what uh, what's what's your go to tool set for portraiture? You know, what which camera are you shooting with? Which lenses and lighting? If you're going to use artificial lighting, what are you using? Is it Profoto or Godox or like what 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 do you gravitate towards? Yeah, so on basically strobe is kind of the the ultimate, you know, tool for stills. And and in the strobe world, um, I use a lot of Profoto because it's basically available everywhere for rental. And I'm a big renter. I, I don't own almost anything lighting wise. Again, because it's all about the right tool for the job. And if you buy something, you're kind of forced to use it, even if it's not the right tool for the job. So I, plus it's expensive. So I, I just haven't invested in a ton of gear. Um, and everywhere I shoot, pretty much there's local stuff available. I mean, you know, I have basically rental accounts in Toronto, Vancouver, Salt Lake City, LA, you know, like all over the place. So, and then if you got to go somewhere weird where there isn't any lighting, like let's say West Virginia, you just bring it from New York, you know? So, um, so I'm not like someone that is very much like gear, you know, uh, let's say I'm not super loyal to any one brand. It's all about what is the right thing. And, and sometimes it's brown color, which is great. And, and that they have some really cool, like very specific stuff about their packs. Like they, you can dial in the flash duration and stuff like that. And so when, when you need that, they're, they're ideal. Um, so I basically have a three camera little arsenal, which is the Fuji GX uh, 100 for medium format. That's 102 megapixel. That thing is amazing. It's, it's basically, you know, the ultimate, in camera technology, I think in the history of the medium, I mean, it's like you have this incredible sensor, large sensor with shallow depth of field, everything that's great about medium format, but finally autofocus that works, you know, just about as well as the Sony's. So it's, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, my sort of workhorse is the Nikon uh, D850, which I've had for like basically since it came out and that thing's been amazing. Uh, and then I have a, a Sony a seven three, uh, a couple of those and that stuff for every now and then I shoot on, uh, a film sets and you have to be completely silent and those are kind of the best for that world. So that's kind of my, you know, and again, it's the right for the job. So if it's studio portraits, it's the Fuji, if it's, you know, something like, a sports type setup or, or, you know, on the fly moving location type work, then the Nikons are great. And if it's, uh, 
you know, film set work or something where it has to be really quiet and minimal, then the Sonys are the way to go. I love that. Yeah, see, and that's that's refreshing to hear because, you know, in the photography industry, photographers tend to be, and I'm generalizing, of course, but they tend to be brand loyal. Like, I'm a Nikon shooter, I'm a Sony shooter, I'm a Fuji shooter, and here's why my brand is amazing and yours sucks, right? Or <laughs> even lighting. I shoot all Pro Photo, and Godox is for commoners, right? I'm just going to, you know, it's refreshing <laughs> to hear that you say, you know, I just like a team you when you suit up for a job you grab the right things you know yeah. to go do that job and do the mission who cares who made it it's what it can do right yeah no 100 yeah. you know the thing about pro photo is it's it's the go-to brand in all you know sort of across the world i mean i've shot in china and japan and brazil and they all have pro photo you know and and it's great because you know how it works and it's exactly like the pro photo here and so and uh, I never had a beef with Profoto. It's been always amazing. But um, yeah, so uh, that's sort of the the one that you know kind of rises to the top just because it's always there and and everyone knows it and all the assistants know it and you know it's it's, it's great. You know, as a New York City based portrait photographer and director, but specifically on the portrait photography stuff, do you has the has the the mode changed from you know, my holy grail or my goal in life is to have a studio on the upper whatever side, wherever all the, the cool stuff is, right? <laughs> I'm in California, so I don't know. Uh, but <laughs> to have a cool studio somewhere with all the lighting and the assistants and the computer set up, ready to go, and my office in there, and people come over and I'm that's my stuff. Or is the is the mode now, like what you were talking about, is I just move around and I rent as I need, I rent space when I need it and do the shoot and then bounce. Like what, what's the what's the goal for a portrait photographer that is aspiring to be you know, as successful as you are? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Like it's it's changed completely. Like when I first showed up in New York in the mid 90s, it was still that that kind of, you know, a photographer has a studio with a staff and all their own equipment they own all their stuff and uh you know it is very much like a a photography business has a place where they do the photography and and even if uh you didn't necessarily shoot in the studio you still had one for whatever and and you know people did that all the time i maybe rents were lower a bit back then but you know honestly that that's a crazy amount of expense to carry every month i mean you've got full-time staff and you just a ton of overhead and i think um somewhere around the late 90s early 2000s it the rental studio thing it really exploded and there's spaces everywhere and and that's continued and i think nowadays you just don't need to do that and and it's that expense as as just from a pure business standpoint isn't necessary i mean i have this office that i'm in right here and i have a closet full of gear that's basically bags of cameras and a few light stands and that kind of thing you know odd stuff but other than that, it's it's all rental studios, rental lighting, rental staff. You know, no nothing is sort of um, proprietary to me necessarily, except for myself. So, um, but the great thing about that is flexibility. So I, you know, I can rent the exact studio I need for the job. Like I have something coming up where we're going to do projection on the walls, and I need it on three different walls. And so I know a studio that has a. a basically like half an eggshell psych where it's like the inside of an egg it's on all three sides in the ceiling so 
you you know in that case that's the perfect spot and and other times you need a massive amount of window light so we'll find like you know something that but if i own my studio i'm stuck with whatever i have so you know or or i could go rent it and not use my studio that i'm paying for you know so it's i don't know i think it's kind of the new school that's kind of popped up sort of you know in the last 10 or 15 years where everything's flexible everything's a tool everything can be is somewhat disposable and 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 gives you the freedom to use the right one and in a place like new york there's a massive amount of variety in studios gear crew you know it's everything you need is here for sure it might not be the obviously the case in smaller markets and anywhere else but you know that's why we're here how are you handling the rental piece of it though is it is it you go to you and, and i want to know how you rent these studios too is there like a site where you go to pick you know and look at okay yeah that's the layout oh they have a psych or they have this they have window light or whatever book it for this window of time swipe your credit card and you get the access to get to that studio and do they have all the stuff that you need there at these studios that you rent or do you have to make a quick stop at B&H on your way to that location to grab a bunch of stuff and then go set up. How, how does that work? What's a, take, take us into kind of a, a day in the life of a, of a shoot that you booked for, you know, rental space and rental gear in order to create a mid to high end level shoot. Sure. So it, first of all, it, it all gets, you know, billed to the client. So, you know, I'm, I'm working mostly advertising jobs, some editorial stuff, but it all comes out of the budget. So it, I'm not personally paying for it. So the one downside to this business model is that when you want to shoot for yourself, you have nowhere to shoot. So you have to either figure that out or pay for it yourself. So that's that's the one downside to it. But let's say, it, you know, so a, sh a shoot's coming up, it all really hinges off the creative. Like what kind of a picture, what do we need for this specific thing? How much space, how many crew is there going to be? Is there going to be massive wardrobe do we need a huge area for that do we need a psych do we not need a psych natural light no natural light all those questions so then you you basically have a short list of locations that might work you know there's i know a bunch of studios just from experience in the city that you know are the go-to place for psychs or the go-to place for natural light or both or you know so i kind of already have a short list in my head but every now and then um i'll go on a site called splacer which is a great, um, it's almost like Airbnb for studios and they're all over the country. Nice. So like, um, you know, like, like Long Beach in LA and I needed a studio there and it was great. I mean, you, you really, it's literally like, just like Airbnb. You can look up the place, see pictures of it. It tells you what they have, what they don't have. You can book it by the hour or full day, gives you the rates. And you literally, like you said, just swipe your credit card and, and book it like a hotel. And so that's been a huge great resource for places outside of town and even sometimes in new york when you need something you know a little offbeat or you're looking for like a rustic brick wall or who knows what you can kind of go through the web and and find that and that's that's pretty new i'd say within the last three or four years the sites like that have popped up and and they're an amazing resource it's it's cool before you used to have to kind of call around and know the places maybe talk to a producer friend or something but uh yeah, that that Splacer site. And I think there's another one, but I can't remember the name. It, it, it's that's like Airbnb for studios concept is out there and it's quite effective. If you if you think of that other one, send it over to me and I'll include it in the, the blog post. But that, the first one was Splicer. So Spl definitely 
definitely gonna check yeah. that out. And do they have the com- they have the lighting and all that stuff there? Or is it just an empty room and you BYO lighting, BYO camera? Some of it, some of them do have uh, lighting in, in you know in house. Most of them, it's grip in house, and you know lighting you can get from somewhere else. But um, yeah, it, it depends. They're all very they're all very different. A lot of them are people's apartments, you know, with just have like an amazing roof deck or, you know, it's the whole gamut of like fully stocked lighting, professional studios, psychs to literally someone with an empty room that has a cool something going on that they want to rent out. So you really have to, you know, kind of go through, but it's great. It has all the search functions you could want with, you know, outdoor space, psych, whatever, you know, check boxes and stuff. So you can find pretty, pretty quickly what you're looking for. Yeah, sounds like a dream. And I'm, I'm checking that out yeah. after this because I wonder I'm in the like I mentioned before we started recording, I'm in Northern California, relatively cl- close to Oakland in San Francisco. So I'm wondering yeah. those sure. places have got to have this, you know, covered, yeah, right? be surprised what's out there, too, because, you know, you think, geez, I don't know of any professional studio. And you go on there and you're like, whoa, there's like 15 of them, you know, within 10 blocks a year or something. It's I used it really for, to great effect. in uh, I was in Phoenix and had to do um, a pretty big like video and stills project and found like, you know, several great options through that site. So yeah, that's good one. Good, good tip. Um, Before we move on to education type stuff, I want to chat a little bit about, um, you know, this is portrait photography is a close human contact type sport, right? I mean, you're not touching other people, but you're getting relatively close to them. And as we kind of I don't know where we are in COVID, we're, we're in August, <laughs> the end of August in 2022. So who knows if we're, you know, at the end of it yet. Right. But, but I'm curious how it has impacted you as a New York City, which at one point was an epicenter of COVID outbreaks there. Like how, how has the, the whole new world order of COVID affected the high-end portrait photographer? Yeah, I mean, it's been it's been a crazy bumpy road. You know, that that 2020 uh, lockdown was pretty insane. And just the rest of 2020 got, you know, just no work. I mean, it all just dried up and and slowly started to come back. And I actually started doing more video stuff first, which for whatever reason, you know, just that was the first stuff to come back. But yeah, you're right. At the, you know, at the end of the day, you, you can't get around getting in, you know, the same room as somebody. I mean, there was like a weird bunch of remote shoots happening i never really got into that um but yeah it's you know you basically everyone wears masks everyone tries to test beforehand like that whole protocol is in place and then there's something takes off their mask at the last minute and, and all that kind of thing but um it's definitely getting better um i would also say it depends on the size of the product production and and how big the the client is you know it seems like the bigger the company you're shooting for the more liability the more red tape the more testing and masks and all kinds of protocols in place and the smaller time stuff it's a little more chill um but i think as time goes on it'll start to just minimize and hopefully go away at some point yeah no for sure yeah we're in the wait and see mode right now everybody is globally you know yeah. uh, one one other question is how do like your ingest of clients you know are you obviously if it's a if it's a big thing like the the hands shoot with all the celebrities in, in la um, I'm guessing it's a publicist that reached out to you and said, hey, can you do this? Are you available? And you guys negotiate prices and you go out there, you do the gig. But what if, if it's a relatively, quote, normal person, like some CEO or even just a model or an actor that wants a headshot done? 
um, and they, they absolutely want you to do it. How does that ingest flow and delivery flow work for you? Well, that's actually a, a pretty unusual situation. I almost never have individuals reach out to me and, and uh, to do a shoot like for them where they personally pay for it. You know, that's mm -hmm. almost never. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's always through like a magazine or a company or an agency or somebody who's doing a campaign or promoting something or, you know, it's a movie or it's let's say a film festival. Um, where I'm at the festival and everyone's promoting their movie. And so I'm set up to shoot portraits, you know, in sort of the bigger promotional machine of the, the festival and the movies. Um, so, so that's how I've done most of my work. And I wouldn't say, I mean, it, it, on the very rare occasion, I'll get an email from someone saying, hey, listen, I, I want to do a shoot. And, and a lot of times I almost dissuade them from it because I'm like, listen, it's going to be expensive, not because I'm expensive. It's just because we have to get a place. We have to get some lighting, like all that stuff costs money. And I'm not set up in, you know, my sort of lean and mean move on the fly business model where I can just have someone show up on any given day and, and make a fully produced massive, you know, lich shot happen. You know, it's yeah. just not my thing. So, um, but yeah, it does happen sometimes. Other times I've had people like tack on to the end of a shoot where I'm like in a studio somewhere and, and I have a friend who needs a headshot or something else. She's like, come to the studio, you know, five o'clock and we'll, you know, surf off of all that stuff that's already paid for. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's not really my business as, as a is portrait photographer is shooting people's like commission portraits. Yeah. What is, what is, what's the deliverable for one of those, the sh one of the, the, the type of shoots that are in your business model? What's the, the final deliverable? Is it a URL with a username and password of final selects or, you know, what, what do you give the client, you know, to, to get the check? How does that, how does that work? Yeah, it, it depends a little bit on, on who it's for and, and what they want to do. Um, a lot of times they'll get a drive with, uh, or a link depending on, you know, where they are and how, you know, just logistically, but they'll get like low res JPEGs of everything that I shot and then they'll edit it and then come back with like a high res order that then goes into retouching. And then we go around, you know, a few rounds of retouching and then that will, the final, final one will just get like FTP'd over. Um, there's certain clients like in the entertainment industry, like the, key art type poster type stuff where they want the entire shoot and I'd never see it again. Like it just, they'll take it from the shoot and, you know, do their thing with it. And it comes back, you know, done as like that one on the, on the, on that one. Yeah. <laughs> on the, it's like a completely finished, you know, uh, highly retouched composited thing. And I have not much to do with it because it's all part of the, you know, agency client bounce back and forth that's been happening for months and i'm sort of the piece that plugs in the imagery for them to do their thing love that you know this, i get i could ask you questions forever man i love this stuff this is so interesting i wanted to transition and talk about education a little bit um and this you i know you have a a course up there on professional lighting for studio photography with a company called domestica and i'm looking let me bring the page up here folks that are listening to this audio head over to the this weekend photo site um or our youtube channel to check out the video but i'm on your page now the domestica page for your course and 
I want to know about this course, first of all, A, and B, I'm noticing down here uh, on the site, uh, it's 10 bucks right now, and it's normally mm -hmm. 60 bucks, 59.99 for the next two days as we record this. So, and again, this is August 23rd as we're recording this. So, you know, use your time wisely. Tell us, tell us about this course. Yeah, so this was uh, an interesting thing that kind of came up during the... Um that pandemic time when there was like no work and I was kind of had the time to really stop and think about like what other things to do. And, uh, you know, it was really, I, I mean, besides writing like a children's book and building a guitar and doing a whole bunch of non photo stuff, I had this idea of doing a, an online course about lighting and with my kind of approach to it as, as like I mentioned earlier, whereas like you think about it from the fundamentals, you know, starting with what does this picture want to look like? What kind of light do I want to use? And then building it from there. And I hadn't really seen that approach anywhere. It was, it's a lot of like, this is a softbox and you use this for, for portraits, that kind of stuff. And, and I felt like there's a different way of thinking about it. So that was kind of the genesis of it. And, and I sort of, I partnered with Domestica, which is a really cool company that does, um, online courses that's that's based in Spain and they're a big player, you know, all around the world and they're in the US, um, I'd say a little bit more recently. So it may not be as well known here as it is other places, but they have incredible reach and it's pretty amazing how many people have already seen the course and from, you know, all different countries and it's only been out for, you know, about a month. So, um, so yeah, we, we put this together and, uh, you know, they're really cool. Uh, you know, just the amount of production and know how they brought to the back end of it. Like I considered trying to do it myself, but I'm so glad that I partnered with them to do the production of it. And um, yeah, so it basically the the idea is it's it's how do you think about lighting in a in a sort of clinical abstract way, and then bring that bring those fundamentals to building the shot you want. And so we go through a lot of the sort of real basic properties of light in the beginning and and uh and then what modifiers do what to what kind of light and and like a couple of you know surveys of all the different tools out there that are at your disposal and and that kind of thing and then case studies of like my own work what i use for this shot why and uh and then like my influences and so there's a lot of different sections to it but um i'm really happy with it i think it came together you know, very well and i hope people you know get something out of it yeah yeah this is cool i'm looking at the i'm looking at the page now i'm playing this video on the page it's got you doing your thing up there that's cool that's really cool congratulations on that it looks like it's uh it's a big hit already looking at the number of people that have uh that have, have uh, yeah. subscribed to the course um so if people want to check out this course if they want to check out your work or if somebody's watching or listening to this and they want to contract you to do some big hollywood new york you know whatever gig uh what's the, what's the best way to reach out to you yeah i mean just through my website all the information is there like scottmcdermott.com um i have you know an agent who who deals with a lot of the sort of bigger jobs but i'm always happy to, to hear from anybody um yeah and and uh you know certainly instagram and all that's a great place to, to follow uh what's happening all the time um yeah there's the site and yeah it's all there on the contact page and um yeah, very, certainly. Very good. Get to reach out. Very good, man. Thank you. Thank you for doing this. You know, this is this is a great a great conversation. Like I said, it's refreshing to hear someone who's more 
you know, A-team with their photography or James Bond, you know, anything is a weapon. It all goes to getting the mission done versus being a, you know, a brand zealot and everything, everything is a nail, you know, because I have this one hammer, you know, so congratulations and kudos on that. And congratulations on this ridiculously amazing body of work that I'm sure you're only just getting started with. So I appreciate you. No, it's a pleasure to be here. And uh, I really enjoy the podcast too. I've, I've, you know, I've watched it for sure. And uh, it's cool. Keep doing what you do. I will. I will. Thank you. All right, my friend, you have a good rest of your day and I'll speak to you soon. Okay. Thank you. This is Twitter.